All right, real quick, people, before we get into today's show, we've just released a new course, Periodization for Periods, all around how to train women around their monthly cycle, and we've got it on special. If you're interested, click the link in the show notes. You are now listening to the Fitness Education Online Podcast, the podcast where fitness professionals go to grow their fitness business. If you're in the fitness industry, you'll find tips and strategies from proven business experts. Now, let's start the show. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the course. Uh, welcome to the Fitness Education Online Podcast. I'm your host, Jono, and I am super excited because we have an absolute rock star on the line this week. Now, I know I say that about every guest every week, but this person actually is. If you check out her resume, what she does, she supports coaches and athletes to optimize uh, their health and performance outcomes. She's an advocate for healthy eating, for, for eating disorder prevention, treatment, and recovery. She's currently doing her PhD. I believe she's uh, she's almost finished it. The topic is managing the risks of eating disorders, disordered eating, and relative energy deficiency in sport, known as REDS, amongst athletes. So without further ado, let me introduce the one and only Jennifer Hammer. Jen, how are you? Yeah, I'm going well, thanks, Jono. Awesome, awesome. Well, give us a nutshell. I know I read out a whole heap of different words there. Let the listeners know, simplified version, what is it you do, who do you help, how do you do it? Okay, so um, thank you for that really lovely introduction. Um, what is it that I do? So as you said, I'm currently doing my PhD. I'm in my last few months um, at Griffith University. Um, and a lot of my work has centered around, as you mentioned, this condition REDS, which is relative energy deficiency in sport, which is um, a health concern that we recognize in elite athletes, recreational athletes, but also now it's becoming more prominent in your everyday exerciser, probably more so because they don't have as much of a support team around them. Mm. Um, And essentially the condition is where um, an individual's energy intake doesn't match their expenditure. Um, So what that means is the body will prioritize that energy for movement, for exercise, Um, And subsequently, a number of health systems or physiological systems in the body um, will be negatively impacted. Um, And this can stem from things like bone health, immune function, gastrointestinal health. um, And then it will also lead to reductions in sporting performance, increases in injury risk, um, losses in muscle gain or just not adapting to the training like um, an individual would want to or should do. Um, Now, a lot of my work is centred around supporting coaches in this space because what we identified with my research was that coaches were getting minimal education in this space. Mm -hmm. Um, Sadly, a lot of coaches were creating environments which were potentially contributing to issues around disordered eating, eating disorders, which can lead into REDS. Um, And so we identified that there was a real gap. Um, Coaches needed support. They didn't need lecturing for doing the wrong thing. Um, they needed that support to help um, them to know how do I create an environment that actually mitigates risk? How do I um, know what I'm looking out for? So how do I identify among an individual or among my athletes in any individual who might be at risk? Um, And if I do identify someone at risk, um, what's my next steps? Because the coach isn't there to solve the problem. Um, So it's about identifying it. And then who do I refer to? Who's in my support network? I need to reach out to um, to help this athlete and then it's about staying connected 
Um, so I built, um, along with Swimming Australia, we built some coach workshops and resources, which we delivered to coaches. And um, we're now writing up a couple of papers around that, um, about the process we went through um, and the um, impact that we were able to have with the coaches on that workshop. Awesome. I love it. Now, I want to dive into your story, Jen. But just before we do, I've got a quick question. Just in terms of that referral side of things, you know, if someone – and you can answer this whether it's a sports coach or a personal trainer. I'm guessing the answer might be the same. In terms of who to refer them to, is it a a, a special sports dietitian or can can any dietitian deal with REDS? What's just the the quick answer there? Yeah, so um, there's a little bit of nuance. And the reason I say that is because someone can develop REDS through different pathways. Um, so um, say we've got an individual who has a really healthy relationship with food, um, nothing's off limits, um, healthy relationship with exercise in their body. They may develop REDS unintentionally. Gotcha. Um, so, which genuinely means they're just not aware of how much food they need to consume to meet their expenditure. Now, when we've got that individual, it's normally a lot easier to treat because mm. we need to, as you said, refer them on normally to a sports dietitian because gotcha. they've got a bit more aware of reds, but yep. some dietitians are, but it's always a really good idea to check with the dietitian that we're referring to. Are you aware of reds? Do you treat people with reds? Um, have you got knowledge of reds so that they know what they're dealing with? Gotcha. Um, Just quick question there. Do, do most, will most dietitians be aware of it? Is that a common thing that you're not a sports dietitian, just a, an APD or, or, you know, a reg accredited dietitian? Yeah. Is that I'm kind of, not, ex- okay. So it's not like yeah. an expected thing that every dietitian knows it. No. Okay. There you go. No, because we've, um, I've also got a friend who's doing a PhD at Bond in this space, and she did um, an assessment of dietitian's knowledge of REDS, um, and it was quite poor. Um, But sports dietitians are definitely on it. Um, We would recommend dietitians over nutritionists, and that's no disrespect to nutritionists. It's just dietitians have been through um, a much more lengthier process in their degree where they cover the real biochemical chemistry stuff um they, they cover a lot more within that degree process mm. um and so they obviously have a lot more expertise in that space um so definitely a sports dietitian um now when it comes to the other route into reds it's more complicated so mm. this is an individual who would have a psychological component attached so there may be a form of disordered eating there there may be an eating disorder present So, as you can imagine, just sending that individual to a sports dietitian is going to be largely ineffective if there's the psychological barrier there. Um, The dietitian can tell them, we need to change your diet here, we need to increase here, and they're unlikely to follow that advice if they're battling this um, eating disorder or disordered eating issues. So we often then need to get a psychologist on board Mm. um, who specialises in disordered eating, eating disorders, and then we need to have a bit of a team going. So you've got the sports dietitian there. You've also got a psychologist working alongside as well so that we can really get that individual moving forwards. Gotcha. Okay. Makes sense. And I guess this might be a tricky one to answer. Say as a personal trainer, and you might get into this later, how do we kind of determine, or, or I say a personal trainer, would it even be a GP as the first stop? And then the GP can um, 
decide a bit more. Okay, cool. This is more a psychologist issue. This is more a dietitian issue. What's your take take, uh, take on that? Yeah, so um, it's uh, I, I do empathise for people like personal trainers who recognise this because obviously there isn't a support network around most individuals that they work with. So it can be challenging because GPs themselves aren't very well educated. And this is one of the there big barriers go. we've got at the moment in terms of It's like of the blind education. leading the blind, right? Yeah. And it was actually really interesting because when I was doing my PhD, we were all sat there and we were like, who should we target? Who yeah. are we going to target? Coaches, GPs, parents, dietitians, like we literally could go for any of them. And we yeah. chose coaches because of their exposure yeah. to athletes um, in the first place. But there is a need across all of these populations. And maybe I can go to the next one next. <laughs> Let's do a yeah. postdoc with GPs or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, um, but so what I would say is the, the, the personal trainer is probably a good idea. Refer to that GP. So get the, the individual to go to the GP and if they are aware that they have got reds, even speak to the GP and say, I know that this is what yeah. I've got. Yeah. Um, I need to be referred to X. Now, in terms of the um, identifying whether there's a psychological component, that is something the GP can do yeah. um, because they have um, an eating disorder frequency questionnaire. Gotcha. Um, and if the patient presents with enough symptoms or um, presents uh, they tick enough boxes which would meet the criteria, they will then get access to um, psychological treatments and dietetic treatments on a care plan. Oh, um, okay. nice. And I've known a number of people who have actually been referred on to that, um, yeah. and it's been really helpful um, because you get this access and you do get to choose who you go and work with. Um, outside of that, it's um, if a personal trainer it, it's kind of, you can kind of tell when you're working with someone and um, if you're confident to have some of those conversations in sort of a confidential mm. scenario um where you maybe find out that they're struggling with their relationship with food um, and as soon as you've got that inkling then you know that there's a psychological yeah. barrier the yeah. ones who are unintentional it's genuinely very easy to pick up yeah. um so it's 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 challenging. If if in doubt, my first step would be refer them to see go and see their GP. Yeah. Um, and at least that's getting the ball rolling somewhere. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Makes sense. Well, I'd love to hear your story, Jen. I believe you've got a quite a powerful story about how you got into this space. Let's hear it. Yeah. Uh, where you want to start, and and let's hear it. Yeah. Okay. Um. So I myself when I was young was sport mad um, and I was a very talented little athlete growing up um, and I actually had two two sports which I excelled in that was one was running that was always my first sport as a, an athlete and then I was a cricket player as well. Um, Just quick quick question um, there did it, was it yeah. did it upset you that Australia would always beat England at cricket every year or? Uh... Let's take a quick break. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Now. 
<laughs> at the time, yeah. But now I kind of teach. I like because I live here, and I'm like, I feel like I can support both teams now. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of cool. Whoever's winning, right? Um, but yeah, back when we were in the UK, we we, we weren't too happy about that. Um, so anyway, sadly, at the age of twelve, I moved from an environment where I was in a very small school, um, and I excelled at everything. I was the best in class, the best at sport. And I learned that I thrived off that praise that I used to get. Um, and I think from a very young age, I kind of validated my worth through that external praise, um, that external validation from significant others telling me that I was good enough. Um, and I moved to an all-girls grammar school where I was suddenly in a massive environment and there was people that were better at running than me. There was people that were better in class than me. Um, and all of a sudden, I wasn't getting that praise. Um, and as a young 12-year-old girl, I didn't know how to deal with the emotions of not feeling good enough. Um, and it's around that time that you're kind of exposed to diet culture as well. Um, and I developed what well, I initially said to my mom, I wanted to eat healthier. Um, and I decided that I was going to cut out chocolate. And then after a week or so, that wasn't good enough. And then I would cut out crisps and sweets and biscuits and any food that was societal labels as kind of unhealthy um and it got out of hand and then at yeah age 12 I was diagnosed with anorexia um and I was put into outpatient treatment and I made what I would term a functional recovery so by the time I was 14 I was I was eating um and I was adhering to what the dietitian was asking me to consume um but I was still training at um, a very high level with my sport. And this was where I would then say that I had an overlap here of reds and an eating disorder um, because mm. I had all of my eating disorder symptoms were still present. Um, I had one menstrual cycle when I was 12. So this is the really important thing that will present throughout my story when I get to the end of it. Um, so I was training without a menstrual cycle um and I guess I was always one of those who you could tell I wasn't right but um I was functioning okay I appeared to be happy mm. um and my parents were just trying to do the best that they could for me yeah. um and so I continued on my way and I was doing well with my sport but I would always get injured like I would win races and um every few months I'd pick up an injury or I'd pick up an illness um but we carried on and battled my way through and I actually got to a pretty high level. I represented Great Britain at club, club level in Serbia. This was all for running. So right. I was a county cricket player um, and then I went over to Serbia, raced um, for Great Britain for my club. Wow. Um, and then I went to university, wanted to pursue my running career Um and I was subject to a case of bullying. And this was where I really slipped back. I was like, I needed to gain control over something. So the first thing I resorted to was food and exercise. Um, so everything kind of became a bit dark again. And over the, my parents pulled me out of uni after four months because they could see that I was going into a very dark place. Um, the next few years were literally just... Uh, an existence it was not any life at all I was just um going into a really dark place with an eating disorder wow. and then when I was 22 so this was 2015 I was admitted to an inpatient unit I was 28 kilos um in a in a very um 
dark place. And I was in the inpatient unit for about eight months. Um, and then when I came back out, I was sort of in this weight restored body. Um, but psychologically, I was still battling. Um, but I knew I didn't want to fall back into that place that I was. I wanted to go back to sport, but I needed this control. And so I then resorted to um, extreme healthy eating and rigid exercise regimes. Now, this is what's termed orthorexia now. Um, so I, it's where there's sort of this obsession with eating um, healthy foods and there's lots of foods which are off limits. Um a lot of obsessions around body image training and it becomes very rigid that your whole existence revolves around that um and i was in that for a couple of years before i actually reached out to the most incredible lady um called Rini mcgregor who is a specialist in the uk in reds and eating disorders in athletes um and she was the one individual who really helped me delve into the deep stuff around this all being around worth and an individual who clearly never felt good enough in a world where she didn't feel safe and she didn't know how to deal with those emotions. So food and exercise and controlling her body was a way that she managed to do that. Um, now, I haven't had a menstrual cycle still. So I'm now 25 years old. Yeah, wow. I was Between the ages of 12, I was now 25. I've come out of hospital thinking that I could just return to sport. Um, I had a diagnosis of severe osteoporosis of my bones wow. um, and I developed a chronic pain condition. Now, the severe osteoporosis for me is the real one I want to flag because this is what's destroying um, athletes, recreational exercises. That's what's destroying yeah. their, their participation in sport because yeah. without a menstrual cycle, we don't have our, enough estrogen in our body, which is building our bones. Um, so and especially during those developmental years where I was teenage years where we lay down all of our bone density I was losing um, and oh. so by the age of 25 I had the bones of an 80 year old no um, now it didn't mean anything, it didn't mean anything to me I was like oh that's fine I can just reverse all of that and I remember I tried to go back to doing a bit of sport um, initially we went back to the cricket nets and I was just hitting the ball um, and I felt this real bad pain in my lower back and I was like, wow, this I can't I can't walk. We got a scan and I picked up a stress fracture in my sacrum literally just from just from... Yeah, wow. Yeah. Um and then I managed to pick up one in my shoulder from at the gym. I was just punching a boxing bag, like and so they had to put me on hormone replacement therapy, um, because they couldn't see me just keep running. Okay, so um, they put me on hormone replacement therapy and um, I was on that for a few years. And I guess I realized I was feeling lost without my sport and I just felt I needed to do something to help others. So I put myself into the space of research. Um, so I went and got my undergrad degree in sports science and I then did a master's degree in eating disorders and clinical nutrition at University College London. Um, and I guess I just, I wasn't done. So I then out on a whim started applying for PhDs. Um, and I got one here on the Gold Coast in Australia. And interestingly, I'd applied for a PhD, which wasn't in my area that I was interested in, but the supervisor who I wanted to work with um, had this PhD opportunity. So I kind of 
had this little plan that I was going to apply for it. And if I got it, I'd then ask him if I could change the topic. Um, and it was so cool because he was really on board once I told him what I wanted to do and I wanted to work in the area of reds and eating disorders. And um, so, yeah, I guess it's my passion now because I've seen not just for myself, but I've seen in so many others how their lives have been so impacted through both eating disorders and reds um, because a lot of the time reds crosses over into that psychological component. Yeah. Um, and obviously I've come out to Australia and I'm on this hormone replacement therapy and I'm like, what the hell? I've got no support team out here now. In the end, I just stopped and I actually got a cycle back two years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, now I actually just want to mention this to, especially for the personal trainers that are on like listening today. So I was, as I mentioned to you, diagnosed with severe osteoporosis. Yeah. Um, now getting my menstrual cycle back and engaging in, healthy behaviors with food now um and making sure i'm always eating potentially in a surplus for me i always have to make sure that never training fasted um i've always got to have enough energy on board and weight bearing exercise i actually last week had an updated de dense bone density scan yep. now my spine my spine um i'm so proud to say has almost reversed entirely out of osteoporosis my hips aren't responding as well. So we need to kind of see if we can get a little bit more stimulus going through my hips. Okay. Um, I'm injured at the moment, so we can't. But <laughs> um, when we can, hopefully we can get that. But I just guess I want to say that because um, I was kind of told that you're past the age of 30 now. You can't really change it. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I'm, I'm not buying yeah. that. Like, I want to change it. And um. So I guess it's just saying that, like, the menstrual cycle is key, like, mm. in terms of recovery. Like, without that, my bone density wasn't moving. Yeah. Um, that was the first thing, getting that back. And the only way I could get that back was making sure that my energy availability was high enough. Um, so, like, it terrifies me when I see, especially women, yeah. going to the gym or going training first thing in the morning and they haven't eaten because we really know for women fasted training is just terrible yeah. um, and I've seen a number of people who have literally lost their menstrual cycles um, and Rene McGregor who I worked with she intervened with them and she said you're actually eating enough food but all that's happening is your um your training fasted and she would literally yeah, wow. get them to add a snack in before their training session and their menstrual cycle came back. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, I guess that's a bit of my story in an overview. And I guess now. So I've got a couple of questions with that, Jen. Firstly, yeah. I'm not sure if you know the answer to this in terms of the split men and women that get reds, is it, all women, majority women, is it 50-50? That's kind of that's question one. And then also the follow-up question that's related to that. In terms of let's say women that train, and there's different variations of that. You've obviously done a lot of work in the professional sporting industry. How like common is it for women not to have their periods if they're training at that level? Is it like, okay, that's just what we do at that level, or is that on uncommon? And then probably same thing in the gyms. Do you see a lot of that as maybe even just personal trainers themselves or those weekend warriors that, that train hard? So the questions are essentially, number one is red split male and female. And then number two, how common is it amongst 
hard trainers, athletes, elite athletes, amateur athletes to miss their period? Yeah. Um, so in terms of like the split and like prevalence rates, it's it's really challenging to get accurate prevalence rates in terms of reds because um, the methods to measure energy intake and energy expenditure are often frequently inaccurate um, just through data collection through your food diaries often present with inaccuracies and energy expenditure is really challenging to measure. Um, so get an act, to get an accurate prevalence rate for reds is actually a real challenge in itself but estimates in terms of like the sporting population um they have gone up to sort of 70 to 80 percent in some of our endurance more physique aesthetic weight sports um historically we thought that in team sports they were a lot lower but they're now also increasing um and there's a mixture of things at play here in terms of, yes, they've got high energy expenditures, but we've also got a society um, which is focused on image, physique, um, sort of bad diets, labels, paleo, keto, vegan, whatever you call it. And there's a lot of this filters in to people's lives. Um, in terms of male and female, we know that females are at greater risk. Um, and a lot of that does come from that pressure around a woman's body um, mm -hmm. and the the sort of pressure that she feels to look a certain way. Um, and we could go off on a tangent with that, but um, it's definitely more common in women than it is in men. But I do not want to sort of put men like to the side and say they don't get it. They definitely mm -hmm. do. And I know quite a lot of men who have got it it's just harder for men sometimes to recognize like with a woman one of the first symptoms not always but one of the first symptoms is a loss of a menstrual cycle yeah. um now men look a bit more closely so sometimes it's a loss of morning erections but it's yeah. genuinely like low testosterone in men um so sometimes blood tests can be really useful for that gotcha. um but there are other symptoms that can be like that we can look for um, now, in terms of the loss of a menstrual cycle around, was that more people, women in the gym, you said? Probably or both. Or could just probably, I don't know if you can give us both of those. Probably let's start with sport because yeah. I'm guessing you might know those stats a bit better. And then maybe yeah. let's see how that relates to um, people in the gym or women in the gym. Yeah. So, again, um, kind of it can be a little bit difficult to collect that data sometimes. Um just because of the nature of the taboo that's been around menstrual function. But we have had studies done where we've got up to like 60, 70% of our female athletes showing that they're amenorrheic and not having a cycle. And notoriously, if we go back in history, that's been normalized, you know, yeah. and even by coaches and trainers, it's been like, oh, it's a sign of your dedication to sport. Yeah, well. um, and athletes don't seem to, but an eyelid because they're like, oh, that's a le one less thing I've got to think about. But they yeah. just don't know the long term implications, especially to bone. Yeah. Um, now, in terms of where we're at with that now, it's becoming a lot more aware among the sporting population that actually this is a big concern. And I've got to think about my athlete's health and sporting organisations are actually now having to put policies in place and um, for sort of practices around that and to sort of make interventions in place so that we're making sure female athletes are maintaining a cycle. Mm. Um, 
Now, in terms of the general population, I think the real sad thing is, is that they have literally zero support in this space so their knowledge and awareness of oh if i lost my menstrual cycle being a problem is very little unless they've got a predisposed bias interest like myself towards it um and i've got a number of gym friends who've like said to me of late like oh i don't have my menstrual cycle and i'm like going up in arms like now like trying to help them because i'm like no this is not okay and they're like oh but the the one i normally hear is but i'm on the pill And I'm like, no, like Mm. this is a number of, I've got some GP friends who have also said to me, I would put my patient on the pill. And this may go a little bit sciencey, but um, the reason we don't want them put on the pill is because it has first pass effects on our liver, which basically suppresses something called IGF-1. And IGF-1 is really important for bone building. Um, Whereas the transdermal estrogel patch that I was on, it doesn't have those effects because it goes straight into the bloodstream. It doesn't have to bypass the liver. Um, so it doesn't impact IGF-1. But regardless, the main goal is to restore energy availability. Mm-hmm. Like that Easter gel patch is used in severe cases as um, a support for those who are in that recovery phase and they're actually making progress, but it's not um, like a solution. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So a couple, well, let, oh, there's a couple of questions I want to finish up with here, Jen, specifically around yeah, yeah. our personal trainers and their clients. So let's say, and I think there's two ways we can look at this. Let's say um, a client says to a trainer, something along those lines, Hey, I'm training, you know, I, I've skipped my menstrual cycle. Is the trainer's responsibility there? Hey, go and see your GP and just straight away there. Let's start with that one. If, if that happened, what's, what's your suggestion for that scenario? Yeah, so I would really like personal trainers to be um, upskilling their knowledge in the space of reds mm. um, because if they're aware and understanding of why it's a problem, um, because what I don't want to happen is for them to just go, okay, if my client's not got a menstrual cycle, I need to refer them on. I want them to know why. Yeah, gotcha. um, why is this an issue? Um, yeah. Because if they don't know why it's an issue, they haven't got the the influence. The, right? The influence and also their values aren't going to be aligned with their yeah. client's best interest in returning. Yeah. Like, and like, yeah, go see because, the GP. If they do, they do. If they don't, they don't. You know, but if you know the reasons why, yeah. you really got to do this. Yeah. Um, like if that client hasn't had it, says, oh, I've not got a menstrual cycle. And then it suddenly gets revealed they've not had a menstrual cycle for three years or something. Mm. That can then change the whole way that they should be training them because potentially they may have low bone density and then we need to address the load that we're putting through them and making sure it's, it's gradual in a way that it's not going to overload that bone density, that, that skeletal frame that may be weakened. Um, So the the first instance for me is once they're upskilled on it, if someone confides in them and says, I've lost my menstrual cycle, I would be then saying to my client, okay, um, thank you for confiding in me. Yeah. Um, I'm a little bit concerned yep. because there's a condition termed reds, a little explanation about reds, because then your client's already got an insight and going, oh, maybe I've actually got that. Yeah. Um, 
my advice to you would now be go to go to your GP and say that you think you may potentially have this. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I may need to work with a sport dietitian or if there's disordered a psychologist on board. Um, and basically telling the GP because a lot of GP, unless you're lucky, yeah. a lot of GPs won't know what you're talking about really. Yeah. So sometimes it's a case of you actually having to go in and tell them what you need and what you want. And I'm a yeah. first culprit for that. Like with my story, yeah, me too. I've literally oh, had to go so. into GPs and be yeah. like, this is what I need. Yeah. And can you just do it for me? Yeah. Um, I do that as well. So with my, that's that's right. You go. You go. Keep going. That, that's probably how I would um, ask the trainer to initiate that. Mm. Um, but I would then, if the client was comfortable as a personal trainer, I'd be saying, look, as your trainer, I want to make sure what I'm doing with you is appropriate and going to help you. Um, and because I know not having a cycle is is actually detrimental to your bone health and I really need you to 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 make sure that we we know that your health is cleared because if your health isn't cleared then we can't move forwards um but the educating from the personal trainer to the client about reds we've also then got a domino effect that mm. suddenly we're getting more awareness of reds out there yeah. because all of a sudden the client then goes home reads around reds um yeah. and then we're getting more insight yeah yeah like I've spoken to so many of my, because I do some ocean swimming, so many of my ocean swim friends were coming to swimming and were like, oh, I'm just absolutely exhausted. I'm not sleeping well. I'm, um, I don't know what's wrong with me. I've just, I'm, I've never felt this way. And then I started, I was like, oh, like, what's your eating patterns like? Oh, well, I don't tend to fuel before I swim and I just have this. And, and I was like, hey, dude, like, I don't know if you've heard of this condition called Reds. And then I would explain. And he was like, wow, I think I might have that. And then I subsequently went and spoke to sports dietitians and to, and, and then once we got things in place, he came back and he was like, I, I, everything's changed. Like I've suddenly got the energy now. I've got my mojo back. I'm performing well. Um, and so if you can catch reds early, it can be quite quick to turn around. Mm. Gotcha. Okay. For the other side to that, a client comes in who's previously had reds. So, you know, they go and yeah. see a trainer, they fill out their pre-screening form, you know, um, have you had any conditions we should be aware of? You know, yes, I, I don't know what the correct wording is. I had reds, I had an episode, whatever the wording is, it comes up on that form. What are some things a personal trainer, obviously everyone's different, but if you can give us some tips on what a personal trainer should ask or what they should be um, wary of if they see that on a pre-screening form. Yeah, so I think they need to know how long the person was in um, low energy availability, which leads to reds. So um, they need to know how long they were, were experiencing reds um, because that could potentially give them some insight around bone. Mm. Um, there may be a well-informed reason for that individual to actually have a bone density scan, yep. um, which you can get here in Australia um, through your GP. You can just get referred and Medicare covers that. There you go. Um, and, and that can give us really good insight into that client's bone density. Yeah. Um, because that if, sounds if like that a client no -brainer. had reds for a long period. That sounds like yeah. a no-brainer, right? Um, so, yeah. So if that client's had reds for a long period of time, it's potentially likely that that would have affected their bone density. Mm. Um, and if we know that, that's going to influence what the personal trainer is going to put in that person's program because we need to, if that client's female, for example, and they've got their cycle back, 
and they're eating really well, we're like, okay, we need to be including weightlifting or um, even like, so for hips, it's like um, side hopping, jumping, multi-directional movements. So we're stimulating that bone. Um, and so it's going to be very specific to improve their bone density. Um, we need to be, so we need to be mindful of how long that was. We also need to be mindful whether it was reds um, an unintentional issue, was it they just simply didn't know how much they needed to eat mm. or was it combined with an eating disorder, disordered eating? Um, because again, we need to be very mindful of the language that we're using with that individual. Um, like for example, if someone comments to me around my image, it's quite triggering for me mm. um, because I've had to experience some significant changes with my body, especially of late. Um, my body's got um, a lot bigger than what it was when I was first in Australia. And that for me, when someone comments, even in a positive light, can be quite triggering. Yeah. Um, so sometimes even comments around someone's body, which are deemed positive comments, can be internalized in a negative way if they've had a history of an eating disorder. Um, so again, it's understanding what did that red situation look like? Um, and then having an understanding of how long have you been in kind of stable remission? Are you still in recovery? Do you still get treatment for this? Um, again, which will always impact, like if they're still in recovery from reds, they'll need to be mindful of the, the volume of training that that person's doing. Mm -hmm. um, and probably just having a general conversation around like, What's your behaviours like with your food intake? Like I know we're mindful that personal trainers aren't there to prescribe nutrition to their clients, but just getting a feel for their relationship with food and their body, um, because if it was a cause that was through disordered eating and eating disorders, again, like if we know a client's rocking up and they're still struggling in that space and they've not fueled for a session, that's a bit of an alarm bell for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so just encouraging and being like, hey, like, really want you to get as much as you can from this session but i really would like it if you could fuel before it so that we can make sure that we're getting and like all those outcomes that we're really seeking from your training with me um so trying to frame it in like a really positive light with them and not scaring them about it but just having a real um understanding of where that clients come from with reds will really help inform the way that they'll train them speak with them um nurture them um, and like help them achieve their goals yes got it awesome all right well jen there's some great tips there i'm sure there's going to be a lot of people listening to this watching this that are like all right this woman is cool she knows her stuff um her story's inspirational i want to follow her where's the best place we go to follow you um so mostly i'm instagram um and my handle is jen's underscore little world um and a lot of my stuff, um, I wouldn't say I'm a massive influencer out there at all. <laughs> That's never been my intention. But what I do love to share is insights into the mind of someone with a lived experience. So firstly, if you haven't had a lived experience, it can help you to understand how we may process things in our mind. Um, other things that I like is I'm, I like people to see that I'm very vocal about my story, which has yeah. notoriously helped with other people reach out to me and say, thank you. I've had the courage now to seek help or, and even just asking me advice on like, who can I go to? This is what I think I might have. So, um, and then some random stuff about me just living life because <laughs> why not? <laughs> awesome. All right. I'll put those links in the show notes. 
Jen, that's pretty much all I wanted to cover today. Was there anything I should have asked you but forgot to, or anything you want to finish us off with? Um, I think for me, it's just always remembering that whenever you're working with someone, that's a, a human being first. And I think every personal trainer can agree. We want that human being to be able to remain active, fit and healthy mm. for their whole life, not yeah. just for now. Yeah. And so it's really thinking about long term. So what are we doing now? Is it supportive of their long term health? And if it's not, why are we doing it? Yeah. Um, because I know it can be very easy to get caught in like this short term. Oh, but I want to look this way for this yeah. moment or I want to change my body race, right now. Yeah. I'll think, yeah, yeah, I'll think yeah. about my bones in the future. It's like, yeah. no, like think about it now because otherwise you're going to end up in a messy situation like I've been in. Um, it's not fun. Mm -hmm. um, so like focus on that human being first who's who deserves health. Beyond, like health first, performance comes second. It's like make the cake, mm -hmm. put the icing on after. Um, so I guess that's probably what I'd like to leave you with. And just a big thank you for having me on. No, you're welcome. I do have one final question. This is the million dollar question. I ask every, you ask it to every guest. So okay, you can have $1 million in your bank account tomorrow, tax-free. You can do whatever you want with it, but you can never play cricket again, watch cricket again, or coach cricket again. Do you take the million? No. Yeah. Okay. Not even, not even. Okay. Let me sweeten the deal. Two million. But it, uh, it depends what I'm actually going to do with the money, actually, because if I was going to put that money into helping others who've been in my situation. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd take the money because yeah. I'd, um, I'd rather help those than me have that selfish thing of playing cricket again. There you so, go. Yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah, I would take the money. Good answer. Awesome. All right, Jen, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. If you liked this show, share it with your friends, subscribe on iTunes, and leave us a five-star review. For show notes and free training on how to grow your fitness business, visit www.fitnesseducationonline.com.au. Are you a fitness professional looking to provide your clients with personalized meal plans? Well, check out Mealsy, the ultimate solution for creating custom meal plans in just a few simple clicks. With Mealsy, you can say goodbye to countless hours spent on meal planning. Our Australian meal planning web app is designed to save you time and effort so you can focus on what really matters, your clients and their success. Mealsy provides you with a vast library of recipes all created by nutrition professionals. From breakfast to dinner and everything in between, we've got you covered. Whether you want to create a custom meal plan tailored to your client's needs or choose from our selection of ready-made meal plans, Mealsy has the flexibility to accommodate your preferences. So why waste precious time and energy creating meal plans from scratch? Let Mealsy do the heavy lifting for you while you focus on delivering exceptional fitness services. Join the community of fitness professionals who have revolutionized their business with Mealsy. Visit our website at www.mealsy.com and sign up today. Mealsy, the smarter way to meal plan for fitness professionals.